T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Let the music play out. This walk of music lets everybody know Jason Lucard is joining us on the Alpamani Ford Hotline. Alpamani Ford, 500 new and used vehicles to choose from. Jason, thank you for joining us this afternoon. Yeah, happy to do it. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great. We want to introduce the audience to Jason Lucard. He's the man who invented the Maddox. He did not create Greg or Mike Maddox, but he invented the stat that Kyle Hendricks accomplished he, the level he reached yesterday. Let me read something from my friend Paul, Paul Sullivan's piece in today's Chicago Tribune. Cubs pitcher Kyle Hendricks often has been compared to Hall of Famer Greg Maddox because he relies on location and changing speeds instead of an overpowering fastball. So it was only appropriate... Hendricks wound up with a, quote, Maddox of his own Friday afternoon, throwing 81 pitches in a 4 to nothing shutout of the Cardinals on a sun-chilled day at Wrigley Field. The Maddox is an unofficial stat invented by writer Jason Lukehart for a complete game shutout with fewer than 100 pitches. Maddox did it 13 times in his career, including three times for the Cubs. Nobody else has done that more than seven, which makes Maddox the king of Maddox's Jason Lucart, Look at that. You got your name in your hometown yeah, newspaper. It's, it's nice. It was nice to see my name in my hometown paper. And so how did the, when did this happen? How did this come up? How did you create this? And, and what year, what time, what, what was the it's, uh, motivation? It's pretty old. It was uh, not to date myself, but it was uh, the summer I graduated from high school in 1998. Uh, and I was sitting at the breakfast table, uh, reading the paper, and noticed in the box score that Chris uh, Maddox had pitched a shutout, and it only used 99 pitches. And something about it just seemed kind of, you know, cool. And I didn't know for sure if it was common or rare, um, but it just caught my eye. And so I started that summer just kind of looking at the box scores in the morning and, and seeing if I could find any. I had a notebook. I used to write them down in through college. Um so it was mostly just my thing for a long time. I had a couple friends I'd probably talk to about it. Um, I'm sure I missed more of them than I found. Uh, and eventually, uh, the Internet, and specifically Baseball Reference, uh, their play index made it easy to suddenly start tracking down uh, all of them. And in 2012, I started doing some baseball writing. And uh, pretty early into it, I, I wrote about the Maddox. And uh, a couple other places picked up on it, and it started to get attention. And it's just, you know, now it's something that uh, Len Casper mentioned it during the broadcast. Uh, like you said, it was in the Tribune. So it's just kind of gradually grown into something that uh, is is sort of semi-official, at least at this point. But it's it's 21 years old now. Wow! So it can it can drink. You should have a drink. <laughs> it can. It's achieved a yeah, certain I, I think, a certain amount yeah, of fame. It, it, <laughs> Jason Lucard. Jason Lucard is our guest on the score. Steve Rosenblum, David Schuster with you. Hey Jason, ironically, yesterday at the game, a couple of other Cub pitchers who have thrown Maddoxes were in attendance, that being Carlos Zambrano, and even more so John Lieber, who had the seventy eight pitch Maddox. And I'm just wondering, because that's pretty low pitch count in any day. What is the all-time Maddox, as far as you know, as far as lowest pitch count in a nine-inning shutout? It's the John Lieber one. Oh, it is? Uh, so okay. It is. Major League Baseball didn't start tracking pitch counts uh, until 1988. So all Maddox data is from 1988 on. Uh, but, yeah, Lieber's the lowest with that 78 pitches. So uh, he had a shot at it yesterday going into the ninth. Uh, and 
And, and his game yesterday is one of the 10 lowest. So uh, it's sort of a super Maddox. <laughs> I got a question also. I mean, have you ever heard from Greg Maddox himself in regards to any of this? And has Major League Baseball ever contacted you in regards to this? Um, Major League Baseball has not contacted me, but there is on their website. They have like a glossary of baseball terms. Uh, and the Maddox is in their glossary of terms on the official site. Uh, and they do credit me there, which is nice. And uh, I've never heard from Greg Maddox, but I know he knows about it. Uh, there's a great sports writer, Joe Posnanski, who did an interview with Maddox maybe two or three years ago. Uh, and, and he mentioned the Maddox to Greg. And uh, so I know he's aware of it, but I'm yet to hear from him. I'm thinking maybe you know, we could do a book together, do some <laughs> signings. I'm just waiting to hear from Greg's people. Is there, sure. is there, is there any thought of, I mean, I'm, I'm being half silly and half uh, truthful or whatever, factual. Can you copyright this? No, it's uh, Greg Maddox's name. Well, but, but it's, not, it's, it, it's not exactly. But go ahead. Go ahead, Jason. You answer that. I, 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 this is a good question. Uh, I suspect if there was a time that I could have, the window might have passed at uh-huh. this point. I'm not sure. Um, and, and part of me thought, like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I had and it made some money off this at some point. But I also wonder, like, maybe if people had to pay, like, Major League Baseball might not mention the term if they had to pay to do it. So maybe it's, it's more fun just to, to have a little notoriety, get, get to go on the radio with you guys, have my name in the paper. Uh, but I've never even looked into it, honestly. We're talking with Jason Lucart. He invented the Maddox. He's being credited for it. And I got a kick out of it where one of the quotes in Sully's piece today in the Tribune is, I'm lucky I got one from Kyle Hendricks. Like, <laughs> Players know about it too. That it's yeah. that that's where it I, is. Does this sometimes knock you over? Like, wow, this goes there. It, is. it certainly, you know, when I wrote back in 2012, my highly unread blog first wrote about it. It's not a <laughs> Well, to me. give us the name of it. what is your unread blog's name? Uh, it's 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 called Ground Ball with Eyes, uh, and I used to be pretty busy with it. And I also I did some other writing. I used to run Let's Go Tribe, uh, which was SB Nation Cleveland Indians. I'm actually an Indians fan. Um, and then a couple of years ago, I had a, uh, my wife gave birth to a daughter. And between my actual job, teaching, uh, and family, I have not written as much. But it's ground ball with eyes is the blog. What do you teach and where? Uh, I'm out in Oak Park, so I'm local. Uh, and I teach fourth grade in Oak Park. Well, good for you. That's a noble and underpaid, underappreciated profession. I just think well, the world I, I appreciate you saying that. Hey, hey, Jason, you know, the Maddox is a great thing for those of us who like crisp, clean, fast baseball. Unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately there's other pitchers who are the anti-Maddox, if you will. There was a pitcher, and I can't remember who it was. I Steve think it was on, Traxel. Well, no, but that's just pitching in slow motion. I'm talking about high pitch counts. There was a pitcher, I think it was for when Arizona was in town here recently, where some guy had 104 pitches in the fourth inning. He was a local guy. Yeah. He was a Chicagoland guy. Yeah, I'm spacing out on his name right now. That's correct, by the yes. way. You know, I'm just wondering, has, has it ever been brought up, the anti-Maddox, which that definitely yeah, would be in I, that category. Maybe, uh, yeah, pulled before the end of the fifth inning with over 100 pitches yeah. would be the anti-Maddox. I didn't know at the time, uh, when I first thought up the Maddox, they used to be, like, back 88 when they started tracking pitch counts, and through most of the 90s, there used to be, you know, 12 to 15 of them a season. Uh, and then his offense kind of exploded in the mid to late 90s and went down a little bit. But really what's hurt him is what you said, pitch counts. There's so many more strikeouts than there used to be, a few more walks to uh, pitchers that aren't as efficient with their pitches. So now in the last few years, there have only been about you know three, four of them a season. So they've become uh, a more rare bird. I think we should change Hendrix's name to like Jimmy. We should put an X instead of a CKS <laughs> on the end. To, to one more Maddox, and you should get that. Well, Jason, way to go. I'm glad you got some fame. You can go show your kids. Look, I'm famous, kids. Yeah, I'm in exactly. the Chicago Tribune. <laughs> go show them in Oak Park. Thank you for your time this, this yeah, afternoon. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thanks, All Jason. Right, that's Jason Lucart. He uh, invented the Maddox. It gained popularity, and it's a legitimate It's a name, it's a label that goes everywhere. I think that's great. Well, they have the perfect pitcher's name for the category. Sure. I mean, Greg Maddox. It resonates. Got the ball. He threw it. He was efficient. He had had one game that I remember specifically. It was his first time with the Cubs. 
and it was a getaway day. It was a Thursday afternoon, and the Reds were in town. It was a getaway day, and a lot of times teams that are getting out of town, they will go up there and swing at the first pitch, much like what happened yesterday with the Cardinals for whatever reason. And it was an hour and 39-minute uh-huh. special. Yes. Yes. Those uh, games you do not see anymore. No. you know, And you know what's interesting is the um, – we'll talk to Derek Gold of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch in about half an hour about the Cardinals and their approach. They put the first or second pitch in play 18 times. Which is unlike that's, them, I think. Which that helps you get a Maddox. Sure. That helps you achieve Jason Lukart's Maddox because you're spending fewer pitches. Now, the the Cubs' spray charts were right. They positioned them, and when they didn't, you saw Bryant and Javi and Jason Hayward. They, you saw some great defensive plays behind them. But there were hard-hit balls right at people. And Kyle Hendricks was the first to admit it after yesterday's yeah. game when we were talking to him. He he said, look, I took advantage of the fact that they were free swinging right off the bat and they were hitting it to our fielders. And, and uh, I mean, he they, they just played into his hands yesterday. God was, bless them. It was pretty amazing. The, the, um, they were aggressive. He was also getting the high strike. They were swinging at it, but he was getting the high strike call. So suddenly the strike zone is like it was when we grew up and you're watching baseball in the 60s, that it was it was up around the letters, or in the Cardinals' case, up around the birds. And, and the way to get a Maddox, obviously, is not like you know Chris Sale where you're going to strike out 12, 15, 17 guys in a game. He only had, I think, three strikeouts yesterday. So again, they were swinging at first and second pitches and making contact, and that's why the game w- w- unfolded the way it did. Though not called a Maddox, it was um, the the Hendricks, as it were, is the last. Kyle Hendricks, 81 pitches or fewer, nine-inning games since 1988. So in 1990, Kevin Brown, Bob Tewksbury, now a Cubs coach, and Doug Drabeck. And then not again until John Lieber did it. Amazing. Seven, he, he said yesterday... He was there. He and Big Z were there. They've each thrown a Maddox. So ironic. And Lieber's 78 pitches, as Jason Lucart said, it was the best there is, that he got double plays, and he considers he had he gave up one hit in that game. Um, I think it was Juan Castro gave up, looped one over Chad Myers' head. You should get credit for going to the Hall of Fame when Chad Myers is on your team and you're doing like that. So it was a one-hitter, and because he got double plays – I guess after walking the hit, that he considers it a no-hitter. I think he only faced 27 hitters. In 2005, Rich Harden, 81 pitches or fewer, nine innings scored. I don't know how that happened. Usually I figured he'd hurt himself by the sixth inning. Well, he was also, for the most part, he would walk five, six, seven guys a game. Well, just here. I mean, he had incredible stuff, but he was either injured or his control was not very good at times. Aaron Cook. In 2008, and Aaron Cook again in 2012, and then Kyle Hendricks. And Texters want us to point out that the Cardinals got in late. <clears throat> also true. I, I Right. I have no idea if that's why they were swinging early. Maybe. It seemed to be the reason they were swinging early was they did not want to be victims of that change-up, wipe-out change-up at the end. So you don't get to two strikes if you're swinging early. That seemed to be the plan. Um and I had the game was so short, and yet two sporting events last night. <laughs> just the opposite. Just the opposite. <laughs> so you watched one. You stuck with it. Yeah, it was a great basketball. Share game with night. the class. It was Portland and Denver that went not one, not two, not three, not three, but four overtimes, and easily could have gone to a fifth one too. It was just great basketball. By the end of. I think uh, some of the players played 60-plus minutes. That's a lot of basketball in one one game. Um, it was great basketball. And I'll let you fill in the class on the other extended game last night. But that was that was the... Um... It was an NBA playoff game. It was uh, Portland and Denver. It's the semifinals of the Western Conference, and Portland now has a two-games-to-one lead. These are two teams that you know didn't really have that much notoriety coming into the regular season, but have played very consistently all all season. And Portland is playing without possibly their number one players. Their center went down with injury about three, four, or five weeks ago, whatever it is, and yet they're still playing at a really high level. Good for both those teams. That was the first playoff game in the shot clock era to go four overtimes. First playoff game 
NBA playoff game, shot clock here to go four overtime. I was at a three overtime game with uh, the Celtics here uh, not, that, yes. not that long ago. Jokic played 65 minutes. 65 minutes. That is the most. And unfortunately. In a, in a shot clock era, a playoff game, the most in a shot clock And he era. had a huge triple-double. You know, I think he might have had it even at the end of regulation. I'm not sure about that. But he had a huge triple-double anyway. Unfortunately, he missed the free throw in the fourth overtime, which sort of cost them the game. And I'm sure he felt bad afterwards. But he was tired he, because he, the Cardinals got in late last night. <laughs> them too. He was magnificent, though. What was Rodney the, Hood? Yes, right. Oh, Rod- he, yeah, he okay. came on. He was fresh at the end of the fourth overtime. This is so this is like Peter Klima scoring in the sixth period for Edmonton. He hadn't played all of overtime. They threw him out there. He's the only guy with legs, and he scored the goal. I remember Jim Kelly. Because there used to be a goal pot. You pick oh, in overtime whoever gets the goal. Well, Peter Klima hadn't played for two and a half periods in overtime, and he goes out there and scores. And Jim Kelly. A Buffalo, a writer from Buffalo, um, hit the roof because he had Klima's name. But Rodney Hood, in the fourth quarter, zero points. In the first overtime, zero points. Second overtime, zero points. Third overtime, zero points. Fourth overtime, seven points, all in the last 70 seconds. That's a thing. He had the fresh legs. Yeah. So the other thing was the St. Louis, uh, the San Diego Gulls, uh, the Ducks affiliate in the AHL playoff game that went 124 minutes, and they went into the fourth overtime last night before the Gulls' um, fifth longest game in AHL history. They scored in the fourth OT, and it goes on and on. And I love, I love that whole idea. I love that's what they do. Uh, I didn't get to the Wake and Bake Club member. We'll have to do that before we talk with Derek Gould coming up. And um, I know have I know I have other stuff that we need to discuss. I just can't remember what it is on Star Wars Day. May the fourth be with you. Oh, the Dallas the Dallas Stars. This is what as long as we talked a little hockey here. You know, a lot of teams, including the Cubs, will put. You know, they have this big. The Gallagher Way area where there's that grass area. And you've seen, if you've watched the NHL playoffs, you've seen that a lot of teams have these massive video screens outside the arena. They have these big plazas. Fans gather. They're not going inside. One of these arenas is in Dallas. And they, they'll, fans who don't have tickets will sit outside, stand outside, Watch the big screens. So it was pouring the other night. Dallas is playing host to St. Louis. Old Norris division matchup is like they're sacrificing teeth and body parts. It was so good. It's pouring. They're still showing the game. The screen's out there. There's one guy sitting in a chair (laughs) in this massive plaza in the rain. He's got an umbrella, and he's on the, sitting on the chair outside American Airlines Center, and he's watching the screen. Somebody tweeted a photo of him. The Dallas Stars said, saw the, the photo of their dedicated fan, and the Stars tweeted out, Twitter, work your magic. This is what being a fan is all about. We want to give this Stars fan who sat outside ACC in the rain tickets to Game 6. Let's locate this dedicated fan. If you know him, let us know. This wasn't the guy from Weekend at Bernie's, was it? This was the guy who, this is the guy. Twitter, in fact, worked its magic. A local television station reporter tracked him down, and he's identified as Dave from Fort Worth. <laughs> That's who he is. And they found the guy, and... They gave him tickets to what for game six in Dallas. That's rewarding. Him. You know, it's really interesting in the Western Conference specifically, both Colorado and Dallas both had to really work hard to get into the postseason, both those teams. And there's something about hockey for those teams that really have to work at the end of the season just to get into the postseason. Mm-hmm. A lot of times those are the teams that go far. You and- should really hate the Blackhawks fans. Or you should hate. If you're a Blackhawks fan, you should hate the Blackhawks. 
because you saw what happened. Look at the top four teams. First time in any sports history, the four division winners were eliminated in the first round. Hell, the best team, the President's Trophy team, was swept. Tampa Bay Lightning were swept. So you've got all the wild card teams still alive. And the Blackhawks, with all this gobbledygook, I don't know what they're, what they're just a horrible plan to fire Quenville, to bring in Jeremy Colleton, to give him the opportunity to change things. <clears throat> you said you had a playoff team. Why would you change your defensive coverage to something they don't understand and are not equipped to do? You went, they went, I, would they go three and 17? And they didn't make the playoffs. And like you said, all you have to do is get in. That's what the NHL is showing. If I'm a Blackhawks fan, I'm livid. It's, there was no reason to fire Quinville if you thought you had a playoff team and you were going to make the playoffs the way they were going. That's awful. All right, that's it. We'll, we'll talk weed after this. We're the Wake and Big Club, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Now, I don't do drugs, though. Just weed. Important to make that distinction. Welcome and welcome back. Steve Rosenblum, David Schuster. He's in for Matt Spiegel, who's in for Mike Esposito, who's in for Jordan Burnfield, who's in for Mark Grody. Mark Grody will be in here. Well, he'll be on our phone, 2 o'clock. And then he's actually hosting after the Cubs game tonight, too. Is, I thought Julie was. Uh, I think it's Mark and Julie. It is Mark and Julie. Wow. Look and I'll have that. Mark, they can't. They and I'm can't. hosting here tomorrow afternoon, and I'll have Mark on again. So it's all Mark Grody all the time. You cannot get enough Mark Grody. 100%. There you go. So I have um, Wake and Bake Club news. We have a new member, that somebody that needs to be part of the club. This is from Yahoo Sports. Brooklyn Nets guard D'Angelo Russell. <laughs> this is great. Was reportedly cited for marijuana possession after trying to get the drug through airport security. I mean, that's a nice start, right? Just, okay. But here's how. After searching what initially appeared to be a can of iced tea, TSA agents found a secret compartment that contained the marijuana, according to USA Today. Russell was allegedly cited for marijuana possession of less than 50 grams, punishable by a fine of $100 or less in New York, and I think you actually get a bonus if you're in the NBA and you're caught with weed. 23-year-old Russell is coming off a breakout season with the Nets, put up a career-high 21.1 points and seven assists per game. He earned an all-star appearance based on that. Under current NBA rules, Russell may not face significant punishment from the league for for the citation. Players can get suspended for using marijuana, but it requires failing multiple tests, and this wasn't even a test. So he had a false bottom on an iced tea can. Pretty that he put pot in. Pretty innovative. And he was he was an iced tea pot mule. I love that. That's great. D'Angelo Russell. There you go. Uh, the bottom of the hour. It's brought to you by Northwestern Football. Don't miss your chance to watch Big Ten football at Ryan Field this fall as the Big Ten West champion Northwestern Wildcats host Ohio State, Michigan State, and more. Season tickets on sale now at nusports.com. Also brought to you by the International Champions Cup. Get ready for soccer's first tournament of the year on July 16th. Catch the International Champions Cup as AS Roma battles Chivas de Guadalajara right in their own backyard at Seat Geek Stadium. Get tickets at SeatGeek.com today. All right, we have, um, if you're a, a Kaniac like I am, Hurricanes, bunch of jerks, as they adopted that, as they embraced what Don Cherry called them, that um, bad news, Trevor Ren, Van Riemsdyk hurt his shoulder in game two. He needs shoulder surgery. He will miss four to six months. So he'll miss the rest of their playoff run. And that's a shame. They were one of the Tavo, Tavo Teravainen was another former Hawk on that team. He's just, it's wonderful to watch him. That's what he's he doing for them, what he used to do for the Blackhawks. Uh, there's a, a guy at Sportsnet, Sid Cicero in Sportsnet in Canada, their ESPN, who tweeted out after they had um, said, tweeted out, Carolina Hurricanes advanced to the conference final. This occurred after they completed their sweep of the Islanders. 
Congrats to all those long-suffering hockey fans in Raleigh who have been following this team for the past two months. (laughs) (laughs) Nicely done. Hey, speaking of hockey, um, Panarin is going to be a free agent. Uh-huh. And I'm sure there's some Hawk fans who would love to see him. Listen, a lot of Hawk fans would love to see him back in a Hawks uniform. Yes. That's not going to happen, I don't think. No. Will he re-sign with Columbus on the heels of the success that they're having? Will Dale Talon and Joel Quenville try and entice him to come down to Florida? What do you think happens with him? I don't know how much money Florida has. I don't know where his where his heart what he wants to do, what Panarin wants to do. He's such a an important part of what the Jackets are doing. And the story is still, there's still time to write that story. Mm-hmm. And we've seen guys suddenly, you know, winning changes minds. So I don't know how much far, this is the farthest the, the, the Jackets have gone, and he's been a central reason for it. So um, I, I don't know if he likes playing for torts. John Tortorella can be very loud. He can be very in your face. Not that Joel Quenville can't, but they have different different ways of going about it. Um, and maybe he's I don't know what he what he thinks about the way he's being coached. And also he had he's such a star, but he was a star here too, playing with Kane. There was Patrick Kane was really was had such a breakout season. Dynamic such an MVP season then. I don't. I don't know. Would love to see him. Love to see him come back. And speaking of the Hawks, who have the number three pick? I mean, the first two picks seemingly are fait accompli for the two in front of them. Yeah. And, and I don't really know these players, so I'm deferring to you. I don't either. Okay. I mean, I I, I, I've seen some they draft, draft a starter. <laughs> draft a starter. Yeah. Draft okay. a starter. Draft a guy who can make your team. I've seen a couple of centers that they might be leaning in that direction. Do you think that's the slot on the roster there? They should go. I would always center a defenseman. That's what I would do. Unless there is a winger that is out, has so much speed as to be uncatchable because you're not going to be able to, you, you can coach a defenseman to, to make a home run pass. You cannot coach a defenseman to be able to catch a winger who's got that kind of speed. So that's what I would choose for them to do. Um, and they their defense needs to be overhauled. With Jeremy Colleton's man-to-man defense, with that style, with what he wants them to do, you dra- you better draft defensemen in that mold who are capable of doing that. If anybody's, if you find anybody playing it that way, so we'll take a break. When we come back, the north side versus the dark side. We'll go talk to somebody who covers the dark side. Rosenblum Schuster, Chicago Sports Radio, six seventy. The score. For all station contest rules, go to... Welcome in, welcome back. 141, Saturday afternoon. Saturday suckage, Steve Rosenblum, David Schuster here. We go to the Alpamani Ford hotline, Alpamani Ford, 500 new and used vehicles to choose from. Joining us from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Read his stuff at STL today. Derek Gould, Derek Gould he, covers, he covers the Cardinals or the dark side, as it's known here on Star Wars Day. Derek, I think what everyone here wants to know is, how come the St. Louis Blues can't win home games? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. Because uh, they don't know what to do with the last line change? I'm not sure. Um, damn it. Well, you used to cover hockey. I know that. You should have an answer. Yeah. I should. I, I'm going to blame the power play. How about <laughs> that's that? Always, always good. When in doubt, go with the power play. <laughs> Special teams. That's it. Yeah. So, so the Cardinals came in yesterday, and Kyle Hendricks <clears throat> got a Maddox against yeah. them. They helped him out considerably. Is that the plan to swing early so they don't they don't fall prey to the changeup? The wipeout changeup at the end, was that the plan? Or we have a lot of textures saying, hey, they were tired. They were swinging to get out of there. What was the, what's the view from the Cardinals clubhouse? Yeah, I think uh, they wanted to be aggressive early and not give Hendricks a chance to expand the zone with that changeup, exactly what you're talking about. And I knew here's the guy who's going to throw strikes, and those strikes are going to get progressively worse um, and to the outer edges and harder to hit. You know, when he's ahead in the count, so don't let him get there. Be aggressive. Um, look for the, you know, the 
the firmest pitch that you can find and try to drive it. And I think I think what Hendricks did yesterday was very impressive. Um, it was it was a good game, well pitched and everything like that. But he does not get through that without some of the defense behind him. Um, that was that was a team shutout as much as it was a Maddox or a Hendricks shutout. <laughs> um, I mean, you talk about. I mean, we were talking about this, you know, yesterday as as we're watching. It's like line drive up the middle. Oh wait, the scouts was there to catch it. Um, you know, the line drive that uh, that Jason Hayward slid to make a catch there in center field. Chris Bryant had you know back to back plays at third base and a stretch by Anthony Rizzo on the other end. You know, seven out of ten times that those are probably base hits. Uh, the way the Cubs position themselves yesterday and the plays they made by really strong defensive players that's to me what made that shutout possible hey Derek even though he suffered the loss yesterday I was really impressed with Jack Flaherty he's got good stuff he throws hard I mean he had Mm -hmm. the couple of walks unfortunately before the home run by Rizzo who's swinging a hot bat right now but that's sort of been the staple for the Cardinals for the success so far early on hasn't it has been their overall their pitching staff uh recently um not there for a while they had like one quality start uh on three turns through the rotation. Um, you know, two of their first six quality starts were by Adam Wainwright, the guy who is essentially their fifth starter. Um, you know, they they were searching uh, for some of the consistency that they have gotten here recently. And, yeah, that's what's really driven them. Um, when you look at, you know, when this winning stretch started, not necessarily winning streak, but winning stretch started, um, you know, it definitely was the rotation finding its sink and providing six innings seven innings and outing, um, you know, getting uh, – it happened really about the time that today's starter, Michael Walker, had his one start before going on the injured list, and then all through that time the rotation has been a lot more like what they expected, a lot more like they wanted, and to be frank, a lot more like they needed. We're talking with Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, talking Cubs and Cardinals to play the second game this afternoon. We'll take you up to the pregame show at 2.30 – Derek, the Paul Goldschmidt experience. He he comes into came into Wrigley Field yesterday with the second highest slugging percentage of any opponent, mm-hmm. behind only McGuire, and he <laughs> went he went zero for four. And the looking at his numbers, is this guy feeling the weight of the trade, the contract? Is this what is the Paul Goldschmidt experience? Because he destroys the Cubs. He the Cardinals weaponize their lineup by ad- acquiring him. So yeah. what's he going through? Yeah, he he has the highest OPS of any visitor ever at Miller Park, too, and the highest <laughs> on base percentage of any visitor at Wrigley Field. And then, like you mentioned, the slugging. So yeah, they went out and got the one guy who terrorizes the National League Central from another division and added him to you know their lineup. So you're right. Um, you know he's uh, he's hit for power. Um, he's hitting stretches, good eight game, ten game stretch. Um, that ended probably about a week ago. Um, you know, he, he started last season really slow, too, and has tried to find a way to kind of rev it into gear and just hasn't had the consistency. Like, you know, I mean, usually he's a hitter who can go and carry a team, carry a lineup for a stretch. Uh, he just hasn't done that. Um, been a little bit off in his timing. Been playing every day. He started every day but one. And hasn't really taken that one day to go and kind of have a work day to find his his rhythm. Um, you know, he and Matt Carpenter, they both kind of are caught in between. Um, you know, I talked to Carpenter about it at length, and he said, you know, the, when you when you have a lineup like they do or like they want to with the depth and everything like that, you know, guys like him and guys like Goldsmith are going to get a lot of attention from opponents. And these opening weeks are really a chance to kind of understand how teams are attacking them. Carpenter's seeing a lot of off-speed stuff, a lot of sliders. You know, Goldschmidt's getting tested with elevated fastballs, a lot of stuff up and then a lot of stuff away. So they're they're going to have to adjust, and then they'll take off. Hey, Derek, you mentioned Matt Carpenter, and, and obviously from a numbers standpoint, you know, he's struggling, you know, under 200. He's only got the five RBIs. But yeah. he's obviously a really good hitter, and I can remember last season he was about as hot as I've ever seen a hitter when he came into Wrigley yeah. at that time. But I was talking to some people with the Cardinals yesterday, and you know they gave him the two-year, thirty-nine million dollar extension and everything. And there was a train of thought 
and and I was sort of dumbfounded by hearing this that they feel that maybe the DH is coming to the National League sooner rather than later, and they sure. actually are looking as Carpenter as potentially being the DH if indeed it does for the Cardinals for years to come. Is is that sure. the prevailing thought? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you if a if a National League team isn't prepared for it or a National League town isn't prepared for the DH, then you're a few years behind. Um, that train has been rolling down the track ever since. They went to um, you know fifteen and fifteen, and you had the you know perpetual interleague play, you know because of the you know the the cutting of the of the leagues in half, um, the thirty teams, fifteen in each side. So you're always going to have an interleague series. Eventually, you're going to have an interleague series at the end of a season determine a pennant race where a roster built without a DH in mind is beat by a team. Um, that it shouldn't be beat by that has a DH or something along those lines, and the imbalance will be clear. And you know, it's a job that uh, <coughs> excuse me that Major League Baseball could always use as a chip in negotiating with the union, um, because you know the DH job does prolong careers, does create a spot where that person you know some it used to be more evident than it is now, but makes more money. Um, certainly, it's going to make more money than the minimum salary. So it's a it's a negotiating token that could be used as well so yeah i don't you know it, you don't know when but there's more chatter than ever the owners are more open to it uh, i know from a cardinals perspective you know they were always going to be adamant to not have the dh to stick with the nl rules to to be you know sort of rooted in their ways um but their they you know their ownership understands that that's probably coming um when and how probably tied to the new cba um but that's going to be negotiated here in the coming years as well because the union and Major League Baseball want to have some uh, some discussions about rule changes, some discussions about how arbitration has changed, some discussion about how young players are compensated differently. And the DH is all going to be involved in that. Yeah, that, that's why I was sort of you know dumbfounded by the conversation I was having at, out at Wrigley yesterday because the Cardinals have always been such a staunch advocate, I think, yeah. against the DH. And now it yep. seems like the tide is turning. And the person that I was talking to yesterday said it could, believe it or not, somehow be instituted even by next season, especially if the rosters are going to be expanded, if, if the owners are going to give in on that to 26 next season. Does that yep. make any sense also? Yeah, well, it was tabled from being so during spring training there was an outline of things that could happen this year and i mean we can really get in the weeds with this stuff if you want but some of it is basically for lack of a better description parliamentary procedure right if the major league baseball wants to change something they have to go to the union to request it or then they can unilaterally impose it the next year right so you got whatever 12 months to negotiate um, or they can wait it out and then unilaterally you know, impose it. But they can't do that with something they've never brought up. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Right. So that's you have they, that's what they did with certain rules about speeding up the game, and exactly. they the already clock. did that. La- yeah. The pitch clock is the most recent example of Major League Baseball. A year ago, remember, they say, hey, we'd like to have a pitch clock. Let's talk about it. Union has been staunchly opposed to it. Well, all of a sudden this year we have a pitch clock. We're watching games with a pitch clock. Well, it was unilaterally imposed. Okay, so some of what you're discussing is sort of them seeding the conversation so a year from now things can be unilaterally imposed. The DH is, is such that that's going to be it's such a valuable portion for both sides when it comes to negotiation, and it's what give is on the other end to make that happen um, and the length of conversation it would take to, to pull that off. So, sure, it could be next year. The, the discussion – this spring was that if at the earliest it would be 2021. That was what uh, that was the comments from uh, Major League Baseball and the union as far as the DH goes. Now they could ramp that up because they might need it for an agreement, but that was at least the discussion this spring. You know, which would take where would this discussion about the DH, which would benefit both sides. However, each side wants to have some leverage, and the players are livid. Guys like Dallas Keuchel and and yeah. Craig Kimbrell don't have contracts. So who claims that? Who, who, te- who, who's more likely to use it as leverage? No, that's what I mean. Both sides can, right? So well, they say they can, but it's only going to be only one's really going to have the leverage. No, I see. I disagree with that. When you have a collective bargaining situation, 
um, because it, it's common ground that sometimes leads to elasticity elsewhere. And if the DH becomes that common ground, then it allows for a give on both sides to get there. Um, so I, I actually think that it's, it's a very powerful thing in collective bargaining because it's not something that is distasteful to both sides. It's, it's something that they understand that the game is probably evolving that way, and both sides recognize the value of that spot, and it's how they want to get there. It, it's the midpoint of two arguments that they're going to have. And I, and I also I would add that I think common ground is so important these days between these two sides because there is some acrimony for the reasons you mentioned, um, you know, and particularly for young players. Look, young players are being utilized earlier in their careers when they're cheaper, and that's what this game has become about. It, you know, they want to get compensated. They need quicker access to the higher dollars because those careers are ending sooner as well, especially when you see how frigid free agency is. All of a sudden, there's been this almost – artificial governor mm-hmm. on careers ending at 31 and a half, 32, 33 years old. And one way to avoid that on the player side is, Hey, look, there's a DH there. That's going to extend some careers. And one way to look at it from a um, team perspective is, okay, there's one more spot for a position player, either free agent or for a young guy to come up and not get, you know, taxed by playing 140 games a year in the field. Maybe that creates some career longevity as well. And if there's career longevity and there's trust in that longevity, then you're going to see higher earning potential too. So I think it's really valuable for both sides and it will force a give on each side to get there. Well, I hope you're right with your optimism, Derek Gold of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Before I let you go real quick, I'm surprised to see that you Darvish has never faced the Cardinals. Yeah. I I don't know what the Cardinals expect, but Cub fans fear he's going to be the homecoming game for for Paul Goldschmidt to, to break okay. to break yeah. out after yesterday. I what what do you sense? What's the, the game plan? What are they going to do? How's this going to go? We haven't had a chance to talk with too many of them about about uh, that. To be candid, um, I, I think they don't. I, I will say this: you know, when preparing or talking about you, Darvish, it's hard to know which you Darvish you prepare for, right? Like, do you look at him at peak? Um, do you look at him um, with how he's pitched when he's struggled? One edge the Cardinals do have, though, is Maddox, who uh, is very familiar with Darvish from Texas. Mm-hmm. So he's a lot, he, he'll be able to prepare him for both sides. I think, I think what you'll see is probably a little more patience, a little more grind to the at-bats. They'll want to prolong some of them, um, not not go at it like they did with Hendricks. Because, you know, the they could probably – get some longer innings out of Darvish and get him out of there sooner or at least take advantage of him sooner um, than yesterday where it was like it played into Hendricks' hand. Yeah, he's going to beat himself, and, and Cub fans are going to be apoplectic. Derek, thanks again for your time. Thanks yeah, for no your problem, insight. Guys. It was great. Thank you very always, much. Always a pleasure, man. Thanks, thanks Derek. Right, thanks. Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I knew him going way back when he was covering the Blues. That's why I had to ask about the hockey question. They can't win at home, and now they're going to Dallas where that fan who was sitting in the rain gets a couple tickets to sit inside, maybe watch the Stars clinch, the old Norris Division battle. It's going to be bloody, head-banging, great. And and we could talk about this maybe uh, after Mark Grody, but, I mean, everybody I talk to, the DH is coming to both leagues. Okay. You know, I know a lot of people will be against that. I've always said it's it's got to be one or the other. I don't care. I just don't like having two different rules in two different leagues. One World or the other. World Series looks. You, you treat it's your, idiotic. You pants your World Series. Idiotic. So many idiotic things in sports. That's one of them. Um, but it's coming. It sure is coming to the National League. It's just a matter of when. And Mark Rohde is coming to our airwaves. You see that radio segue? You see that? See Very good. That? See what I did there? Yeah. It sucks. Wake and Bake's got nothing Saturday, on you. Saturday suckage. Rosenblum and Schuster, Grody's next, talking Bears, kickers, doinks, whatever happened. Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. Oh, hi, Mark. That scream can mean only one thing. Running us in the Alphamonte Ford hotline, Alphamonte Ford, 500 new and used vehicles to choose from. We choose Mark Grody. Used to be his show. 
Now he's on this show, even though it's not his show, but he's on this show from Hallis Hall. He'll have his own show later tonight. You will. He and Julie DeCaro will be on after the Cubs game. They cannot overwork this man enough, it seems. They're breaking child labor laws. i got to talk to Gene and Gary about that. <laughs> Mark, how are you? I'm doing very well. I appreciate you guys giving me the rundown of the schedule because... <laughs> Honestly, because you, like, you forgot, you didn't well, know no, what you were I, supposed I, to do. No, I didn't. No, I knew I was working today. I knew I was hosting, but sometimes I'm not sure about the exact times, just because in the off season, the Bears off season, quote unquote, um, my schedule is just kind of patched together week to week, so it helps to hear it um, again. So I'm on after the Cubs, yes, yes until yes. ten o'clock. Yes, yes. And after end. the Cubs until ten Seriously? o'clock. And, 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 and Mark, it could be another Maddox. Kind of game, so you better get on no, in your not. car no, right away. Why would it be a Maddox? Kind oh, of oh game. that's right. It's it's, it's Darvish pitching. Forget Darvish. it. Could be eight hours. It's a, it's Could be bull. till ten o'clock. Gar Grody may not be on at all. It's Wait. a bullpen game, is what it is. Could yes. be. Could be. Yeah, and that doesn't make for quick games, as you know very well, Schuster. We'll see. Yeah. Yes. He, you know, he complained about the short game because he still went over to the south side to cover the White Sox too. So it really didn't matter how long the afternoon game took, and all of a sudden he gets the quick game. That he didn't need on a day he didn't need it. That's our guy Schuster. That's our guy. All right. So, did they have the Clown College of Kickers line up and do the same thing from 43 yards today that they did yesterday? I just got back inside here at Bears headquarters, took a little walk around, and uh, right now, the just like yesterday, just like yesterday, the Bears kickers are on one field, eight of them out there warming up right now, kicking from different distances. Um, <laughs> yes, and eventually, I assume that they will do like they did yesterday when they joined the rest of the team, the, when I say the team, the, the rookies and tryout guys, and take situational field goals. We're not sure exactly what Matt Nagy has in mind today as he had a little, well, I don't know, fun is the right word, but some poignancy when he had them line up the 43-yard field goal. So, so yes, um, there is a similar setup logistically today, and uh, we'll find out a little bit later on. They've just, just been out there for about 30 minutes or so, so not a whole lot of specifics, not a lot of things I can share with you at this point on what is happening in that practice until we talk to the head coach, Matt Nagy. Can we have the kickers? Can you suggest to Matt Nagy that he do like a Hunger Games thing? Maybe that would be a better way to go about this. Well, I think that um, Bernstein and McKnight should have it, you know, do a special who's your guy for the kickers. <laughs> I, I think that that would be really good. And, you know, I'm, I'm as I'm watching these guys, and, you know, we can only give so much as far as the specifics about what's going on, who's doing what, who's not doing what, and you can kind of figure it out with names that we've given and not given. But there's some unique um, traits with these guys. I mean, you got to pick a guy. I mean, I like John Barron, lefty. That's that's a novelty for a kicker. He's a lefty. Um, Elliot Fry, the former AAF kicker. So if you want to say he's the only one with pro experience. And then the best name out there, like just in terms of a raw name, Casey Bednarski, um, a great Chicago name. He also has terrific hair, uh, blonde locks flowing out of the helmet. So, He's Thor! Yeah, he is Thor. So you can, you know, if you want to go about it that way, because, you know, we'll all try to evaluate what's going on but let's let's not pretend like we any of us really knows what they're looking for who they're zeroing in on and what it is that qualifies as a good Chicago Bears kicker at this point we can see who's making it and who's not making it but we don't know all the circumstances Um, and I imagine with eight guys out there there are few guys that they're real that they have a pretty good idea probably of, of of the guys that they're taking seriously of the eight out here um, and it's just a matter of finding out who those guys are. And then it's all, also possible, and this is something that we were kicking around in the media room, that, that that guy, that even though they have eight guys out there, that none of those guys mm-hmm. will end up being the Bears kicker. So, you know, this is what the Bears said they were going to do, that they were going to have tryouts and find the absolute best guy and exhaust as many resources as possible because, as we all know, stating the obvious, they have to get this right. Hey, Mark, you know, how could we not have fun with this, you know, all show long? And we have, you know, talking about uh, the end of the practice yesterday and six of the eight guys missed. And I'm just wondering, <laughs> half kidding, half serious, 
if uh, Matt Nagy was sort of sending a message to his boss, Ryan Pace, like, okay, we lined up eight guys, six of them blew it, including blew it, and, uh, you know, was he sending a message potentially like, this is not how we should be doing this and we should, you know, take this maybe even a little bit step further and and find somebody who's got a track record? Like, in, uh, give me a... Clarify that a little bit further. Like, like you're saying, like he had them take 43 yard or like a high degree of difficulty kick. To say, well, hey, I don't they... think I don't think that's a high degree of difficulty. No, but what message is? Uh... Well, he, the message that he lined up eight guys and six of them missed the damn kick uh, for starters, and it's not just one kick, obviously. But you know, you even made, made mention that it could be none of these eight guys. Right. It probably will be none of these eight guys. Yeah. You know, and and so you know, are, are they looking elsewhere? How are they looking elsewhere? And, and I've submitted throughout this show and long before this show that a kicker is more important than people think going into a season. A kicker will win or lose one to three games a season. It's just the fact. Yeah, I, I got you, Shu. I understand your question now. And, and I will say that, no, I don't think Mad Nagy was sending a message um, as of yet because one of the things that he said yesterday, and some of it needed context because, of course, there were some money cuts that were thrown out there yesterday, but Matt Nagy made it very clear to us that this was the first day that these guys were out there with holders and snappers that they weren't necessarily familiar with. And he did say, he did say that of some of those missed kicks, it wasn't all on the kicker, that there was some things that ha- I mean, you, you don't have your, 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 your Patrick Scales or Patrick Manley out here for that matter in terms of the, the long snappers and the holders and guys like that. So he, he, he was very careful, Matt Nagy was, to qualify. So that would suggest to me that he's not mad yet. He's not, like, sending any messages to Ryan Pace. But it is possible. Yeah, man. I mean, who knows? I mean, we're, we're keeping an eye and keeping a head count on all these guys on a daily basis when we have the chance that eventually you'll probably see some guys depart from the Bears and you'll probably see more guys added. And it's always possible that, you know, as, as – we get closer to Bourbon A, that they will add a familiar name. And I'm not necessarily talking about Robbie Gold, but just maybe somebody uh, who has had NFL experience that will all of a sudden surface and land on the Bears. That's something that I'm thinking is, is very possible, just because you you have to have somebody with experience if you can't find um, a so-called diamond in the rough here. All right, you brought up the magic word or words, names, Robbie Gold. Um, Robbie Gold has made it known to that franchise out in San Francisco that he doesn't want to be there anymore. Uh, and I think Frisco would probably say too bad, at least at this juncture. But let me take this a step further. The Bears' window for winning is open right now. In fact, it, it, it could be this season. They, they, they are a solid, solid football team with depth all over the place, which is great. But the kicking still is is a problem, at least as of right now, and it cost them going any further. Obviously, last season. Would you? I'm talking about Mark Grody as general manager. Would you pick up the phone and call Frisco and say, "Okay, what would it take?" Would a fourth-round pick two years down the road, would you do a fifth-round pick, a fourth-round pick, would you do that? I would. Yeah, Yeah. so would I. Yeah, I probably would do something like that because the windows in the NFL are so incredibly fragile. And, um, you know, heck, the window could close after this year or after next year. Right on your head. Right right on your head, exactly, Steve. Um, So you want to make sure that you exhaust every possibility, Um, you know, Putting my GM cap on, I would I would probably handle it a little bit like Ryan Pace is in. I really wouldn't want to have to go the route of giving up a draft pick, let alone a fourth round draft pick, to get a kicker because nobody wants to think that 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 would be a possibility. It's just like kicker is just the last thing you want to think about in that regard. But because of the fact that they haven't been able to get this right, and you are in a championship window, it's like baseball, man. You need your you got to have your closer um, once the team gets good, and you got to have a kicker in the NFL once your NFL team is good. So, yeah, to answer your hypothetical, David, yes, I would. So does your GM cap have, like, a propeller on it, or do you have ear flaps? What exactly does your GM cap that you're putting on look like? That's a great question, Steve. I would say that since um, I did, as I told you, I am multi-religious. Um, I went to a Seder this year, and I went to um, I had Easter this year. I'm a Catholic man, but I have many Jewish friends, so I was I was invited to a Seder. Um, so maybe that hat, the the yarmulke. How about that? It's good. 
Does that please you? Am I pandering to you? Sure. You are pandering. How about how about that hat? Eat the horseradish and the matzah and torture yourself like we do for hey thousands man, of you years. Got, like I said, like I said, uh, you guys, the food is right. Okay, so I don't understand Twitter like the popular kids. I'm trying to make trying to piece together why you tweeted nothing af- on at to me and Spilkus. Well, well, I didn't realize that you. Oh, okay, yeah, that was a gr- so Mitch, um, who is very active on Twitter, <laughs> promoting the brand and you know still misspelling right. words despite spell check. Um, he he uh, tweeted out the <laughs> so good. You made you made him laugh there. <laughs> it's so good. Tweeted out the programming for today. Yep. You know, a day's worth of stuff. You know, getting it going with the morning and then you guys and then and then he puts on and then take you home or something like that with Julie DeCaro. Not a peep about um, your guy on the phone with you right now. Oh, he did not. You're not on the phone. He he. Nicola, you're right. I'm on the ISDN. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, what a system we have out here now. Yeah. Um. So right. So Mitch forgot to to mention me so you know in this business of paranoia i was like okay i guess i'm out i guess that's it for me <laughs> that's it i'm not showing up anymore yeah i guess uh Let's say goodbye i guess our meeting on monday is going to be um, a severance package so i you know super okay yeah. i just i wasn't sure because i was tagged on that and i thought what because i didn't comment on you you had tweeted out that you had audio, you were going to share stories about David Montgomery and Riley Ridley. Yes. I was looking forward to that. And then all of a sudden there's nothing, and I couldn't connect the dots. But you just did. So now share David Montgomery and Riley Ridley stuff with us. Let's do it. Yes. Uh, David Montgomery, of course, the Bears' first pick in the draft this year, which went down in the third round, mm-hmm. the Iowa State running back. And uh, he talks about the ride on which he has enjoyed from the Cyclones to your Chicago Bears. Yeah, it's definitely been amazing. You know, um, you look back a couple years, uh, you let the normal man tell me I'm not allowed to be here, but a guy's telling me it's the perfect place to be, so I'm here. Uh, the whole experience has been definitely a beautiful experience. You know, I'm God-fearing, and being out here to be able to run around with some of the top guys um, is definitely a blessing, so I'm just enjoying every minute of it. When you look at a Matt Nagy playbook, what strikes you when you see it for yourself? Uh, really everything. Just how um, it's not one-dimensional. You know, he allows all the players to play everywhere on the position. I mean, everywhere on the field. So that's big, just being able to, you know, be versatile and kind of be a hybrid guy. I think it fits you that he pretty well. Here. Yeah, I, I do. I do. Uh, coach Nagy's a great coach, and, you know, the values that he lives by and, you know, what he stands by as a coach are definitely big. And me understanding that, trying to uh, kind of pattern myself and do the same thing. How much did you know about the organization before you were drafted? And- yeah, one of my favorite backs play here, Walter Payton. So um, I didn't know much about about the actual organization, but I know a lot about Walter Payton. What, what, what strikes you about Walter then? Um, just his will to not want to go down. I've just been able to, you know, take every advantage, every opportunity that he had. And, you know, just being always positive. And you guys probably know by now that one of the, the standout aspects of David Montgomery's game is his ability to break tackles, not only that, and then maintain balance, which was something that Walter Payton was famous for. And, and for all you youngsters out there, Walter Payton was not necessarily known for his speed. It was more of his want to and all that all that other peripheral kind of stuff. Um, you should also know that uh, David Montgomery had dinner with Matt Forte and Kareth White Jr., another one of the Bears' rookie running backs. He said specifically, check it out, he had uh, grilled chicken, crab legs, and salad, and then he turned down, turned down a probably a great wake-and-bake breakfast. He turned down the fried donuts, and that is dedication, gentlemen. Wow, that that's definitely passing a drug test. He's not on drugs if you're going to turn that down. Yeah, I mean that's that, just that, awful. That's I'm a rookie and I'm not gonna. I want to eat, but I'm not gonna eat. If you know what I'm saying? Wow. Okay. Hey, Mark. Mark, I'm curious. Um, 
this is rookies and free agents that are in camp, correct? Yeah. Right now? Now, obviously, Mitch Trubisky is a quarterback. goes without saying. And, and, and Chase Daniel, as of right now, is, is your backup. But do, do they bring in any quarterbacks just out of curiosity? Anybody that you could tell us about? Um, yeah, they, they have brought in um, – they have at least one quarterback out here, a fellow by the name of uh, Austin Allen. Um, I believe he is. I'm just looking at my. They give us this massive roster of players, an Arkansas guy. So there hasn't been a whole lot of buzz in that regard. But yeah, there's at least one other quarterback, probably a couple, as I'm I'm looking down the list here. But nobody particularly uh, noticeable or notable, I should say. Yeah, point. it's not really a position that I'm sure they're contemplating anything at this juncture. Um, but I'm always curious when they bring in quarterbacks, you know, what their thinking is. Because obviously Trubisky's the man, and then after that, if he goes down, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, Big I mean, trouble. I mean, obviously Chase Daniel knows his way around a quarterback's room, and he is very capable, I think, of, of stepping in. But, you know, as we saw last year. And One game. The, well, and we saw that it is a step down that that Mitchell Trubisky and that's the way it it ought to be you didn't want Chase Daniel to step in last year and go, oh my goodness he's he's better than Mitchell Trubisky because then all of a sudden you have a quarterback controversy so yeah they I think they have a very capable backup guy but he is not a starter in the NFL um, so yeah I mean quarterbacks is something that I actually thought that it was possible that they were going to draft um, a quarterback because Ryan Pace kind of indicated that that was a possibility but he indicated a lot of things and did a good job of head faking uh, right. the media. You guys want to hear from uh, Riley Ridley? Yes. The, yeah, the Bears. I, I would. I was hoping you would bring that up. Yes. Yes. I got it right here for you. Um, Riley Ridley, the Georgia wide receiver, fourth round uh, pick of the Chicago Bears. Um, he thinks that being with the Bears is going to be a really good fit for him. Coming from Georgia, uh, being in a pro style, it's, it's pretty similar. You know, you got a couple of the same routes, but just, you know, different terminologies. But, you know, you catch on fast and you just keep repping it. Everybody says about you, good route runner. Where does that come from? Do you agree? Uh, I say it comes from the family. My brother, is he, he really prides himself on running routes. And, you know, he takes that and, and gives it to me. And, uh, and just letting me know, like, running routes can really help you in the game of being a receiver. It helps you gain separation and makes the catches easier. Does it make you quarterback friendly, too? That's the other part. <laughs> I believe so, yes, sir. What did he did tell you, you about did you practice, how difficult? Did you ever practice with your brother before you were drafted to understand what you could do here? Yeah, well, we trained down in Florida. Uh, when I go back, I'll be back training down in Florida. But, uh, yeah, he was just, you know, drilling me on the route running, you know, letting me know that I got to be around the veterans when they come. And no, just be a learner. What did he? What did he tell you about the challenge of setting up your routes against NFL corners, against you know, as opposed to college corners? The game speed. You gotta, you gotta run fast. You gotta be able to get in and out of the cuts fast. And, and you know, you gotta be dialed in. You gotta know how to convert on certain things and you know with certain coverages yeah and for context and a lot of people know this but some might not his brother is calvin ridley the the wide receiver from atlanta so that's the brother to whom he was referring um and uh riley ridley adds depth to a a already pretty good um wide receivers room really good wide receivers room mark and i think it's only going to get better as you mentioned uh, and so many others have it takes a while to digest that entire matt nagy playbook and i think you saw a step in the right direction last year but i think it's going to get better and better Allen robinson is really good as long as they stay away from injuries taylor gabriel it was really good at times last year i'm excited to see this corderell patterson because he's supposed to be the speed geek and, and Anthony Miller, I think he showed you before he had some of the shoulder problems that he's really, really good, especially in the red zone. So, yeah, I'm excited about the Bears wide receivers. Yeah, and then another guy, too, um, is Javon Wims, who spent most of the season last year inactive and on the practice squad. But when he did play during the regular season and during the preseason, and preseason for whatever it's worth, he was really good, and he's another big target. So it makes for some interesting – I think it's going to be interesting competition, too, because, you know, Riley Ridley is a guy that the Bears were very surprised that he was around in the fourth round. And a classic time when you when you do believe the GM when he says this was best player available. Like, th- he wasn't necessarily a spot there, like, oh, we got to have a, a wide receiver. I mean, it never hurts to give Mitchell Trubisky more weapons. But – 
you know, there's going to be competition for, you know, where the game plan goes. I mean, Anthony Miller, um, we know, I mean, he led the team in touchdown catches last year, but I imagine that Ridley will push him a little bit. He's going to push Javon Wims for a roster spot, possibly. Um, you mentioned Allen Robinson, and we all know he's safe. Same with Taylor Gabriel, and then Trey Burton, too, the pass-catching tight end. So it's, yeah, man, I can't wait for when, when everybody is together out here at Bears headquarters. All right. We can't wait until you're on the air after the Cubs game because you're never going to have Mark Grody. I'll Mark Grody all the time. Mark, thanks. You got it, guys. See ya. All right. Mark Grody, one of our guests. Derek Gould, St. Louis Post-Dispatch, talking about the dark side as they play the north side. Jason Lukart, he invented the Maddox. The Maddox is good. Zach Weathers and Chris Dickens, chef, produced this show. David Schuster, thanks for stepping in. For thanks for video. having Appreciate me, Steve. It. And uh, Saturday Suckage now gives way to the Chicago Cubs baseball pregame show with Zach Zaidman on the score. It wouldn't have been possible if we weren't here to be told how much we suck. So kudos to you guys for sucking as bad as we do. Oh, yes. Wait Wait a minute, minute, Mr. Post. Wait, wait. Wait. Oh, yeah. That's it. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 